marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Peterson You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? A bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Percacci. Thanks for joining us today. Today's show will be focused on the current happenings in Mendocino County cannabis policy, um, specifically as it pertains to the results of the recent referendum and the results of this past Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting. Joining me today, I have Michael Katz. He is the Executive Director of Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, which serves and promotes Mendocino County's world-renowned cannabis cultivators and businesses through sustainable economic development, education, and public policy initiatives. I also have Hannah Nelson. She is a business, land use, partnership, contract, and compliance attorney who helps clients navigate their way through all aspects of cannabis regulation. Michael and Hannah, are you both here with us on the air? Yes, Jen, thanks so much for having us. Yes, good morning. Good morning, morning. thanks for joining us today and taking the time. All right, well, we've got big news, and that is that 2218, which is the new cannabis ordinance that allowed for 10% expansion and the opening of a new round of cannabis applications, aka phase three, was rescinded at Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting. So that's right, no 10% expansion. Um, This also means that we are back to the drawing board with 10A17, the original cannabis ordinance. Uh, This certainly will have lots of ramifications for cultivators presently in the system, as well as those hoping to come in in the future. We're going to be going through this and kind of picking apart what it means for everyone. And then hopefully we'll have time to take some callers at the end because I'm sure you will all have lots of questions and comments about what's going on. I know I certainly do. Michael, do you want to kind of take a moment to give us a lowdown about what exactly is going on right now and where we find ourselves? Sure. Well, uh, as you mentioned, at this Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday, uh, the board chose to rescind Chapter 2218, um, which, as you mentioned, does uh, remove the possibility at this time for expanded canopy and expanded cannabis zoning. Um, But it also removes uh, the discretionary land use based permit process that uh, MCA and others have been advocating for uh, to be implemented in order to, you know, protect the existing cohort of permitted operators in the county 
who are currently within the system. Uh, you know, there are uh, the, the short version of this story is that our existing ordinance 10 a 17 is uh, as has been identified as the by the county as a ministerial ordinance, which they say does not enable the conditioning of certain parts of the cannabis permit application. And so this discretionary component would allow for conditioning. And so we were looking to uh, 2218 to provide that pathway. The, you know, the inclusion of the expansion of canopy and zoning, uh, you know, obviously uh, led to what wound up being a successful referendum. Uh, the, the community spoke very loudly about not wanting to see that happen. And, you know, the collateral damage from that, unfortunately, is the loss of this pathway. And so where we are now is um, specifically, you know, to serve that same goal of protecting existing operators, that discretionary process basically has to be built into the existing ordinance, 10A17. And there are, you know, there are a number of ways potentially that that could be done. Um, but, you know, in order to ensure that that process is in place by the time folks who are going through the portal process now need to have access to it, um, you know, we'll have to move quickly as a community and the board will have to move quickly and uh, to, to make sure that that happens. And so, you know, we have seen recently the board act decisively uh, when it came to supporting the the businesses on the coast uh, in their time of need and facing uh, a water crisis. And our community, uh, the cannabis community here, is currently facing a permitting and licensing crisis. And so we hope that the board will similarly take that necessary action to ensure that no one is uh, thrown out of the license program through no fault of their own. Thank you, Michael. Hannah, is there anything that you would like to add to that? Yeah, I just think that we need to remember that there's important time frames that all of this has to be looked at and the lens through which we prioritize things. Um, kind of there's the overshadow of the state law and state requirements for provisional licenses. And while the uh, trailer bill that was signed into law in July did grant a limited extension, there are very specific benchmarks that must be achieved for both LSA requirements for cultivators as well as for uh, all cultivators, the CEQA provisions. And so it's kind of important when we're focusing in on the local stuff to remember that the reason why we're in such urgency to protect those that are already in the system and we're caught up in this kerfuffle over uh, whether they need a discretionary permit or not, or a discretionary process or not, kind of relates back to this state requirement to fulfill CEQA within a certain period of time. So that was the only thing I wanted to add in. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually thinking about that, um, whether or not we're up against any state deadlines and whether cultivators in the portal system are at a risk of missing a deadline. Do you know off the top of your head when the extension from the trailer bill ends? 
Yeah, well, it's there's different phases of the trailer build depending on uh, what situation you're in. So there's one clump of when new cultivators can apply for a new provisional license, which really even includes if you have to change your license type. And that's broken up into uh, three different time frames depending on what category you fall into. Um, most cultivators in Mendocino County are likely to fall into the uh, second clump, uh, which would require, well, actually, most of them will fall into either the the second or the third clump, which would be their applications to the state would be due by the end of this coming March or uh, by the end of June, and and it depends on the type and style and size that you're you're growing. There are some, probably not many, in Mendocino County that would be cut off prior to that, and then there are some uh, that would have additional time after that. So, really, we're looking at this next, you know, six to nine months for the majority of people to apply. However, after next July, provisional licenses that exist can only be renewed if certain benchmarks are there, both with respect to the cultivator's LSA, but also with respect to CEQA compliance. And as time moves on, the specific conditions of what those benchmarks are wind up getting more and more specific and are more difficult for the cultivator and really in the local jurisdictions process, the local jurisdiction to prove compliance with. The overall provisional licensing program at this point ends for everybody at the end of 2025. That sounds like it's a long way off, but in order to achieve the benchmarks along the way, um, something's got to give here with respect to our staffing levels, the ability to make it through a a process, and, and first and foremost, to implement a mechanism for some kind of discretionary review if it's needed for people. Thank you, Hannah. So before we move um, too deeply into the nitty gritty of this any further, I want to ask a burning question I know is on people's minds as they're listening, which is what does this mean for folks that we're hoping to apply in phase three? Do either one of you want to take that question? Sure. Well, I I, want to, I just want to, I want to kind of distinguish between old phase three under 10A17, which there's a moratorium on that expires in March versus what people affectionately call phase three, but was really the new ordinance 2218 that was just rescinded after the successful signature gathering for the referendum. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, and so in that context, there, you know, the the moratorium Hannah mentioned on the phase three that's already within 10A17, you know, that's set to come up in March. And so, you know, what that would do would be open up 
the possibility for new cultivation in zoning and at canopy restrictions that are within 10A17. And there are actually additional zoning restrictions for, uh, you know, beyond phase one. So while in phase one, folks were able to show proof of prior to where they were and be, you know, enter the permitting process there, you know, the rangeland, uh, forest land and TPZ, I believe, are, are removed in the phase three of 10A17. So yes, there will be the opportunity once the moratorium is lifted for folks to come in within those limitations, uh, just not at the scale uh, that was discussed for 2218. And, you know, also, though, understanding that the, the nature of this discretionary process is still not baked into 10A17, you know, that may also have implications for those new operators coming in. And I would like to add Great. to that, um, in addition to the, the zoning restrictions of the old phase three that um, the moratorium will expire in March. Uh, there are additional overlays, not only in terms of restrictions that were baked into the original ordinance, such as double the setbacks and water availability studies and other items. But on top of it, there's, don't forget, the overlay that uh, the Board of Supervisors, because of the drought emergency, has put kind of a halt on any, you know, new cultivation. So I'm not sure unless we have a remarkably different scenario, whether or not that moratorium, meaning the drought emergency moratorium, would be extended or not. So that could impact the timing as well. But getting back to your original question um, Jen, about, you know, how does this all affect the curtain people? I think that the overriding issue is we don't know yet, still, how many people are going to need a discretionary permit process. And for those that are tuning in and don't quite understand this lingo of discretionary permit process, essentially, 10A17, and it's interesting because I'm going to use some language or close to some language that county council used at the Board of Supervisors meeting this week. County council recognized that 10A17 is a, was a really, really complicated ordinance and combined what appeared to be discretionary components language that actually do have discretionary components with some issues that the county has determined or interpreted to be ministerial. And as we've discussed on prior shows, you know, really the county treating this as a pass-fail issue, meaning kind of a ministerial process where you provide certain documents if you don't have the exact documents and the exact fit the box, then you're out versus a discretionary process, which says, okay, even if you have certain issues on your property, and this really particularly comes up with respect to the sensitive species and habitat review, if you can show additional 
mitigations and uh, environmental commitments, then you still might be able to demonstrate the required environmental compliance threshold, which is that it would be a less than significant impact. But for a lot of people, that won't be able to be shown in under the sensitive species and habitat review or potentially under other aspects of the ordinance unless they have the ability to be allowed to be issued a permit on the condition that and that's really what uh conditional or discretionary permits really mean is that it gives the county the ability instead of rejecting uh an application to say, okay, we could pass it, but only on the condition that these items are in place and protections for the environment and the health and safety of the county. Thank you, Hannah, for that. Oh, and am I yeah. uh, under? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. No, I'm sorry. I just I forgot that I didn't I didn't finish the last thought, which was that. So for the current people, a lot of people don't know yet. And this is because, you know, they're not uh, our uh, sadly, our county is, you know, woefully understaffed and they're doing the best they can to to process uh, applications submitted through the portal as they come up or even go back and analyze uh, renewals that were originally submitted that didn't properly look at all of the issues on under 10A17, meaning uh, for the sensitive species and habitat review and other things. And, and now having to process all of them, it's very, very difficult to say because such a tiny fraction have been successfully processed so far, one way or the other, either rejected or uh, approved, it's really hard for us to know what the numbers are going to be. But it is clear that we can't wait until we have the answer to how many in order to have a system in place, in order to have a place for those people who are in the process to land if they need to have a permit conditioned on specific requirements so that they can demonstrate the less than significant impact. And it's important to protect these people explicitly because they were given permission to, to go forward. They were told as long as you comply with these aspects of the ordinance, you can continue to cultivate or you can begin to cultivate or uh, you can expand your prior cultivation if you if you hadn't stopped uh, up to the limits of 10A17. And now all of these issues are being judged in retrospect after years and going back in time and saying, okay, but were these things all in place since before 2016? So it's kind of a rough situation. Yeah, definitely sounds rough. And it is rough for all of us um, in the process and for those folks that are in the portal. Am I correct in understanding that the county is going to wait until the portal closes to issue any permits from the portal applicants? Is that correct? I don't I'm not sure which one of you might have the answer to that, but either of you can go ahead and grab that if you'd like. Um 
Well, I, I think that what I understood from public meetings, you know, and really it would be the county that is the most appropriate place to answer this, the cannabis program. But in in the past, and I don't know if this has changed, it was announced that even not only will it be, and except for renewals, which are being processed, um, those that are submitting through the portal, meaning that they don't already have an annual and they were and they were not in good standing, or I shouldn't say they're not in good standing, they are not on the good standing list, meaning they hadn't already been reviewed and, and thought to have all the components in place, but they just haven't been reviewed yet. Uh, none of that is being looked at except for the renewals until after the portal closes, at least at one time, that's what was said. Now, maybe because they've received fewer submissions through the portal. And I've got a lot to say about that because of the, the requirements and delays uh, with services and trying to farm at the same time and everything else, uh, or maybe for other reasons, you know, they're, maybe they're able to review things as they come in now, but they do also have the burden, meaning the MCP staff, of reviewing Appendix G's and renewals and other requirements. So they've got a lot on their plate, so it's doubtful that we'll have the information on how many would need this kind of conditioning versus who would not until very late in the year or possibly into well into next year. Thank you for that explanation, Hannah. So going back to 10A17, this is the ordinance that we are now operating under again. There are definitely problems with this ordinance and revisions that are needed as um, all of us are aware of, I think. Uh, I was told also that the county is no longer going to have a standing committee or an ad hoc committee as it relates to cannabis. So, Michael, do you want to speak a bit on how we get these issues addressed with 10A17 revisions to the ordinance? How possible is that going to be with no standing committee or ad hoc committee to be addressing that? Sure. Well, uh, I think, you know, first that there, you know, the, the board in choosing uh, not to or an ad hoc committee, you know, their their comments at that time indicated that the program was kind of running and the, their desire was to see how that went for an undefined period of time. Uh, I think a, a couple of months or a few months was mentioned uh, from the bench. And, uh, you know, the reality is that by not having a standing committee, what that means is that there will be more of a need to bring, you know, uh, un- developed ideas and initial conversations to the board where there's very limited opportunity to do so. And so there is a real concern that the these important issues are going to be put off until it's too late to address them. Uh, you know, certainly with the with the repeal and the rescinding of 2218 and, you know, th there being no new cultivation permits being accepted, certainly before March, if not after that, you know, I think that that puts a new focus on 
the importance of really addressing the issues with respect to the existing operators who are trying to maintain compliance. And so, you know, with regards to 10A17 and how to do that and add this discretionary component that we've been talking about, you know, there are a couple of mechanisms for that. Um, you know, as Hannah said, we're not exactly sure when we're going to start finding out about that. Discre uh, you know, but we know that we need to have a plan in place. So our initial uh, suggestion to the board is that, uh, you know, they prepare an urgency ordinance to, uh, you know, deploy when we get to that point. And an urgency ordinance has uh, a couple of components that will make it effective in this regard. One is that, you know, it's it's CEQA exempt, which means it doesn't have to go through a full environmental review because it's based on an urgent need. And in this case, the urgent need would be an un, you know number of existing operators who may be forced out of compliance to no fault of their own. Um, and so, you know, the urgency ordinance also has time limitations, um, but then it can also be renewed. So it's not a full length, like a full term solution. But what it does do is, in, what it would do is enable the this conditioning to be happening while we work on the longer term fix to 10A17 that would add this discretionary component. And, you know, there have been concerns raised about what kind of uh, objections there might be in the community to any uh, revision to 10A17. But we were very glad to hear um, at the board meeting that the proponents of the, ref the people's referendum, uh, also known as Save Our Water, Wildlife, and Way of Life, um, who are, you know, one of the, the if not the, key environmental groups uh, operating the county. Obviously, we just saw them uh, operate and run a successful referendum, uh, would have no objection to that revision. And so it, understanding that there is uh, unity among uh, multi, uh, multiple components within this community to address this need, we would hope that that could be addressed uh, expediently and that it would be brought to the board. You know, certainly on the point of the standing or ad hoc committee, when this was being discussed by the board, MCA provided a memo that had no less than 11 individual items that we felt that uh, a standing committee would need to address, and this actually being the first one. And so, you know, it is our sincere hope that understanding the depth of the issues that are before us, that the board uh, chooses to initiate that committee and enable this important work to be done. And, and specifically, you know, it's important that we as a community let the board know that this cannot be game over for existing operators. The people who are trying to be compliant, who have been trying to navigate an ever-changing system, uh, they do not, uh, they should not be forced out of compliance by a regulatory snafu. Uh, it's just, it's not right. Um, and that we have the ability to affect that and the board has the ability to act to not have that happen. And so, you know, we are certainly uh, open and willing and looking forward to working with them in order to avoid uh, a continued disaster uh, and, you know, really be able to get back on the right track uh, of supporting our existing industry uh, while sustainably uh, approaching what kind of growth is possible. 
I Thank I want to um, yeah, yeah, I want to clarify just a few things and, and without getting too far in the weeds, so to speak, about secret because it's such a complex thing. I want to I want to just separate out a couple of things and suggest that we don't know yet which is the correct mechanism to provide this protection for existing operators and um, again as Michael said through no fault of their own and consistent with the people who uh, were successful in getting a referendum uh, certified you know I think that there's a, a, a wide community belief that the people who are trying their best to comply with environmental laws should be protected in this in some way so we don't know exactly what the right mechanism is anything and what michael said about it you know an urgency ordinance is not subject to sequa is kind of right and kind of slightly misleading and it might it might lead people to believe oh great so if there's an urgency ordinance my stuff isn't subject to sequa no 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 everybody every single ordinance that's passed has to be evaluated under the state California Environmental Quality Act. So what Michael was referring to was preliminarily the county actually passing an ordinance, not people's requirements for their own projects and, and what's required there. So I just want to kind of distinguish there. And then regardless, the passage of an ordinance and, and the proposed ordinance has to be evaluated and whether or not there's a specific exemption or whether, uh, let's say, if there's a modification of 10A17, whether or not the evaluation is that that modification would keep the status quo or at least um, n not add to uh, the environmental impact above the threshold of the original mitigated negative deck. Um, so it, it gets a little complicated. I don't want to get too, you know, specific in each category, but it's essentially what Michael was saying is that there's a broad support for figuring out what is the right mechanism to make sure that these people, as he said, through no fault of their own, are, are left holding the bag. Thank you, Hannah, for that explanation. So if you're just tuning in, this is the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and I'm here today with Michael Katz of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance and Hannah Nelson, attorney at law. And we're discussing the current changes to the county's cannabis ordinance, which is the rescinding of 2218, which takes us back to operating under Chapter 10A17, the former cannabis ordinance. We're discussing what this means for cultivators' um, future and present. In just a couple minutes, I'm going to be opening up the line to take callers to answer your questions and hear your comments. That's going to be about five minutes from now. So I'm curious, Michael, you brought up when you were speaking that MCA had a list of about 11 issues they thought needed to be addressed, and you mentioned one of them. Would you share the other ones with us? 
Sure, I can share a couple. Um, you know, I think first thing that comes to my mind is there's certainly uh, there's a need to address the potential uh, $18 million in uh, state grant funding that is available to support the transition of existing operators from their provisional to their annual licenses. So this is, uh, you know, this is something that while we have been earmarked uh, in a sense for up to, you know, $18 million, that will have to be applied for by the county cannabis program. And so, you know, it's very important that we as the community are involved in shaping the, the requests that are made by the cannabis program because, you know, understanding the needs of folks on the ground and being able to incorporate those into that request. So that, that's one. Um, I'd say that another item is certainly the equity program uh, that needs uh, additional considerable uh, supervision. Um, you know, to this point, there's been very little information released. Um, you know, we it, it took a month from the last CEO report to the one that was provided this past Tuesday. Um, and we understand that there are, you know, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 52 folks that are involved in the process. Um, we're not sure if any funds have been released or, you know, the timelines for that. And we do, we are aware that there is, uh, there are deadlines for this funding that it all has to be distributed by. Um, I mean, also just the, it, it seems that there's some, maybe some confusion on the county side as to the amount of grant funding that's been been provided by the state for the equity program. And so, you know, those are those are two, and I don't, you know, uh, just the continued management of the cannabis program and as it relates to supporting their staffing efforts, it's my understanding that there are currently no uh, HR postings for the cannabis program on the county website. So, you know, because of the nature of the, the understaffed nature of the program and the incredible amount of needs that this community has, and the fact that the board has indicated that they're not really interested in continuing to have these conversations uh, at the board level, um, and because there are so many of them, it just seems that creating a standalone uh, committee that can address these items with the stakeholder community directly and be able to integrate that feedback and input into regulatory action it would be the most streamlined and efficient way to get these things done. Thank you, Michael. Those all certainly sound like very valid issues. So before we open up the phone line to callers, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge the major victory that is the fact that 10% expansion did not go through. There were so many of us that fought against this, and now here we are with no 10% on the table. That is really great. And I'm curious to know, uh, Michael and Hannah, I think both of you were attending virtually the Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday. I did not. Was there any representation there from any of the companies or organizations that had been pushing for the 10% or was it sort of just like silence from them at this point? Uh, I, I attended the meeting uh, virtually and, you know, there, there was, I do not recall there being uh, much voice and support. Um, you know, I think that the, the community spoke very loudly 
And I think that, you know, the, the goal now is really to focus on how to move this conversation forward with the long-term stakeholders in the community, the people who uh, have lived here, the people who are living here and intend to continue living here and want to work to the betterment of for everybody. You know, the I think one of the largest issues with 2218 was that it was viewed as you know, uh, being largely exclusionary and not bringing in enough of the community in a number of ways. And so it's important that we address that together. We figure out how to move processes and regulations forward in a way that, you know, doesn't put hours and months and months and months of efforts, uh, you know, uh, set them back, um, but, you know, creates structures that enable useful on the ground input so that when regulations go in place, you know, it's based on the reality on the ground and not based on maybe, you know, subjective visions uh, that don't really relate to, to what's happening. Thank you. Hannah, is there anything you want to add to that before I go ahead and open up our phone lines here? Yeah, I, I just want to, again, kind of elevate things to the context of the, the state level issues. Um, of course, I'm so hyper involved and focused on the impact locally, but we've also been really working hard. And when I say we, MCA is a member of the Origins Council, and I'm an advisor to both the Origins Council and MCA. And uh, Origins Council is really dealing with the impacts of all of these kinds of issues in different locations and particularly affecting legacy cultivators and other operators in a variety of jurisdictions and, and locations and particularly the impacts for, for low, uh, rural operators. Um, and, and the state overview is really that the whole system needs to be fixed. And here, Mendocino County was an early adopter and took a path that it thought was the right path for its jurisdiction. And that was kind of before the state figured out all the details of the path that the state was going to require. We don't have to go belabor the, the, the messed up history in between then and now, and the fact that there's plenty of mistakes that were made by both local jurisdiction and the state. But essentially, at this point, looking at the overall system, whether it's redesignating cannabis as agriculture at the state level and dealing with it as hemp is being dealt with, or um, looking at environmental protections on a more broad basis for regions and putting regions together to share the responsibility of environmental review. That way, individual applicants are not going to have the individual burden to prove some of the larger issues that are necessary under an environmental review. They still will have to get specific about their place, but it would be much much easier, or it would allow, if there are regional environmental reviews, for 
uh, local jurisdiction like Mendocino did to adopt an ordinance where the process is ministerial and much less cumbersome for each individual operator, but still has the built-in environmental protections. So it's really important that when we're looking at problem solving, there's kind of the immediate, urgent, get us out of the mess that we've all wound up in here after all these years, versus uh, also at the same time, we have to work on a parallel track to fix the overall system, both here as well as at the state level. Yeah, and just to tack on to that, that's an excellent That's another additional reason why having a continued cannabis standing committee would be so effective. I mean, we have in the county, there is a lobbyist there that works at the state level to, uh, you know, forward the county's needs. We have a county annual legislative platform and we have been working, you know, trying to work with the county to make sure that these requests that are not just requests that we happen to be making, but are, you know, research recommendations to state level issues that wind up affecting the local level as Hannah mentioned and so you know we again this is another opportunity for us as a community to come together and you know take our fate into our own hands by going to the state and making our case there so rather than saying you know this is this is over where you know this is this, with this referendum the this we're done uh, we actually have a lot more work to do locally and at the state level and that work can be made much more effective for the county by integrating the local expert stakeholders and working with us based on realities on the ground Absolutely, Michael. We have a real need for continued advocacy efforts at this time. So I'm going to open up the phone lines now, and I hope to hear from some of you listeners out there with your questions and comments about what's happening right now with our county's cannabis ordinance. That phone number is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. 2448. So don't hesitate to give us a call. All right. While we wait for some callers to join us, I wanted to bring up the topic of the possible initiative that has been floating around. Would either of you like to take that question and just kind of talk about what it is and what it could mean? Hannah? Do you, uh, I, I don't know about a particular initiative. I do know that there are initiatives, that the process of an initiative has been discussed. I've, I, you know, I know that in the absence of an ordinance that is developed by the county, uh, you know, there, the way to create local regulation is by putting an initiative together and creating regulatory structure and bringing that to a vote of the people. And so, you know, that is certainly a conversation that, I'm, you know, is being had. I've, I've heard mention of it. Uh, I recall the, the Small is Beautiful group indicating that there was interest there, um, you know, uh, but I think that there are, it's definitely to evaluate the, the tools in our toolbox to ensure that the, the structures that are put in place that our community specifically has a lot of thing about, like as I've mentioned, 
Michael, we're having a little bit of a hard time hearing you there. I think there's a little interference. Oh, sorry about that. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me now? Okay, great. Yes, we can hear you now. We yeah, also sorry. actually have, oh, that's okay. We have a caller waiting. So we're going to go ahead and put that caller through. Hi, caller. You are live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us? Yeah. I'm just I'm just want to give thanks to all the people who make possible for to to make uh, 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 the governor stay in his job. Okay, great. Thank you, caller, so much for that comment. That certainly was a historic moment yesterday with the possible recall not happening. So if we have anyone out there that wants to join in and give us a call and talk about the cannabis um, ordinance as it currently is standing, that number is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. And Michael, is there anything that you wanted to add to what you were saying when we sort of lost you there and then that caller came on? Oh, uh, not particularly, just that, you know, I think that as when we're faced with this kind of uncertainty that we are now, you know, it the, the it beneficial for folks to come together and to work together on solutions. And so, you know, little plug for MCA, that's that's what our organization is based on. Uh, you know, we're uh, community focused. We are made up of uh, over 130 members of the local cannabis community, uh, and we are really driven by uh, a need to support our local industry and our efforts, you know, in advocacy uh, are, are one part of the organization. And we're also working as an organization to, uh, you know, in figure out how to help folks in their two market strategies. And we have a conversation happening uh, this evening for folks in the licensed community that folk, uh, people can find information about on our website, which is mendocannabis.com. Uh, click on the policy tab and you'll find out all about that. So, yeah, I think that, you know, having uh, a like senior policy advisor like Hannah and the incredible team uh, that of uh, volunteers that work to address the needs of this community through MCA. Uh, we're incredibly lucky to have that brain trust and we invite everyone to, to participate and continue to help make us stronger. Thank you. We actually have a caller waiting, so we're going to put that caller through. Hi, caller. You are live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us? Hi, Jen. This is John Haschak. Am I on? Yes. Hi, John. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate hearing from you. Morning. Oh, great. Well, it's been a great um, program so far, and I totally agree with what Hannah and Michael are saying. Um, you know, I'm totally excited that um, the referendum got rescinded. I think it had some poison pills in there that were just would have been very detrimental to our county. And um, we need to move forward with making sure that everyone can get through the program. So, so I did put forward the um, agenda item to create a standing committee, and the board decided to wait, like Michael was saying. I think that was the wrong move, and and I would like people to 
to put pressure on their their board members to create a standing committee or an ad hoc committee to get the work on these issues, you know, to flesh them out before they get to the board because that's where things kind of get bogged down and uh, not all viewpoints can be heard. So, so anyway, I would just like to say I look forward to working on these issues. They're really important. We need to make sure that this program is viable for the small growers, and uh, that's our commitment. It should be, and so, so anyway, that's what I have to say. Thank you. Hey, Jen. Thank you so you. much, John. Yes? Can I ask John a question? Good morning, John, and thanks for, you for joining. You absolutely can. Yes, please go ahead and ask him a question. Hi, Hannah. Hi, John. Um, I'm wondering, I, I, of course, concur with you about the need to have a standing committee or an ad hoc committee, and particularly in light of the still looming state deadlines and the benchmarks that have to be achieved and the logistics of working out whatever mechanisms are necessary for people to successfully move through, um, both in terms of some of the nitty-gritty issues that are not relevant to CEQA, but re are relevant to process, but also, of course, the larger issue of uh, discretionary permits. Um, the, the criticism that has been lobbed against that idea is that it's time to let the cannabis program and program manager do their job and stop tinkering and stop interfering. And I don't know what you would say about that criticism. I know that I personally have a tremendous amount of uh, compassion and empathy for the difficult job that they have to do, especially after years and years of, of failed program management. Um, and I certainly want to encourage them to, to keep going. And I appreciate the huge stack of work that they have on their plate. But it seems to me that, in fact, being informed about some of the actual pragmatic problems on the ground are absolutely necessary to integrate to make their work more efficient. And that the other issues, the larger issues with respect to CEQA, don't really interfere with their work in particular. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are, are about those potential criticisms of creating a standing committee or an ad hoc. Well, I'm in agreement with you, Hannah, is that, you know, we need to have kind of this open dialogue with the cannabis program where issues are brought up and, you know, the supervisors need to be advocating, you know, and being the kind of at times the intermediary between the people and the cannabis program. And that's how we're going to get this fine-tuned. You know, there are issues out there, and it's not like you can just put the cannabis program in a little room and have them work on it without listening to anyone. So, so I would like to have this communication more open and um, work on these you know, like you say, the nuts and bolts issues that come up and, um, you know, there needs to be this dialogue going on to work through those.
All I'm, right. Thank you. Are, oh, go ahead, Hannah. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, I'm sorry because of the delay. We keep doing that. I'm sorry. Um, and I just, I think that what we've heard from the board of supervisors, and I think why Supervisor Hashtag was encouraging listeners to contact their board members, is that other board members seem to believe that we've spent too much time on cannabis. And I would say, really, you know, there are are reasons that were not self that that are self-made by by the board or by staff throughout the years that had they done a better job of integrating the feedback from the people on the ground and the experts and the operators that are actually being impacted they may have not had to spend as much time and that hopefully going forward um there's there's a mechanism in place to have people not view it as we're spending too much time on cannabis. We've created this system. The county has relied on those substantial tax dollars, and now it's time to make sure that it's attended to in an efficient way. Right, Hannah. Is so, that, John, while we've got you, know, you on the... We, oops, go ahead. Sorry. attend to these issues is do we do it in a full board setting or do we work it out with the nuts and bolts in a in an ad hoc or a standing committee? And I think that that is probably the most effective way is to work it out before you go to the big, to the full board. And um, that way it would actually save time for the board to do, you know, other business of the county and then deal with the real you know, the decisions, the policies, when they come up. Thank you for answering that, John, and thanks, Hannah, for that question. Um, we've got just a couple more minutes here, but, John, while we've got you on the line, I wanted to just take a moment and ask you um, if you have any idea what's going on with the cannabis program in terms of hiring and recruiting folks to help. Well, I just heard that they were going to hire a couple people on Monday. So, so hopefully, you know, we've given direction that they're supposed to be hiring. And, um, and so we want to make that happen. And um, that's kind of why we need an ad hoc or standing committee to make sure that we're on track to with those kind of issues. Thank you, John. I know it's come up a few times in this conversation and other conversations that there were no job postings on the county's website as it pertained to the cannabis program. So that's the background of why I was asking that question. So thank you for answering that. And is there anything else that you want to add before um, we wrap up here? We've got about two and a half minutes left on the show. Was that for me? So, uh, yes. Is there anything else you want to add, John, before we uh, just wrap well, it up here on the air? And then well, Hannah and Michael, you'll have a chance to add something, Thank you to all the people too. that worked really hard in um, collecting the signatures for both the Smallest Beautiful and the, the People's Ordinance or the People's Referendum. It was both, both of those were very much, you know, citizen-driven efforts, and um, it really, rep it showed the beauty of this county. 
you know, how we can take the, you know, the people power and the foot, you know, and have some effect on the direction of this county. So I wanted to thank everyone who worked on that. And my commitment is to keep working to make sure that people can get through the system and um, make sure that the cannabis is a viable pro program for the small and, um, you know, um, cannabis growers in our county. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for all the hard work you do um, advocating for the small farmers and working with the cannabis program. You're a great supervisor, and we really appreciate your contributions. And thank you for making the time to call in today. All right. Thank you. Hannah and Michael, we've just got about uh, one and a half minutes here, uh, one minute left. Uh, do you two want to just add anything really quick, maybe 15 seconds each? in wrap up Anna take it I guess I would encourage people uh, even though it's such a busy time of year and with the blessed rains uh, reaching some farmers it's rather hectic but I would really really urge you to involve yourselves with the local supervisors to push for uh, creating a, a committee again rather than, you know, not dealing with it or claiming that there's just, you know, we've talked about cannabis too much. And then, of course, participate in MCA and other organizations, both at the local and the state level, like Origins Council. It's just, it's really, really, really impacts your well-being, your livelihood, your community, including non-operators. Absolutely. It looks like that's all the time we have left for today. So thank you so much to Michael and Hannah for joining us. This has been another episode of the Cannabis Hour. I'll be back two weeks from today. Have a beautiful day. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.